Amen. Genesis chapter 1 this morning, Genesis chapter 1, and you look like you're pretty socially distanced, so don't tell anybody, but while you listen to the sermon, if you want to take that mask off, go ahead. Just don't, when you get out and walk out there, I know, no, don't tell anybody, and maybe somebody watching tells on me, and I don't care, but uh, uh, you're going to sit there, and you want to have your mask off, go ahead. If you don't, that's fine. You wear it. But if you want to take it off and sit there and listen to the sermon, good. Genesis chapter 1, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse 26, a passage we read recently, but we'll come back to. It's no understatement to say these are unusual days. 2020 has been unusual days. It's, I was thinking about, if it was a song, it would, I, w- I was thinking about that song, Ain't That a Kick in the Head? Uh, that would be uh, uh, that would be 2020. Uh, we faced a global panic demic, and we're wearing masks today to prove it. Uh, we've seen our freedoms limited, our nation shut down, our world shut down, really in one way or the other over the last several months. Things we've never seen before. We've seen many lives taken because of it. Now we see, we've seen our own nation, country, rioting, protesting in our streets concerning the unwarranted death of a black man and the protest that followed has been taken up worldwide. And with that, we've seen the old wounds of racism opened in our country once again. The seeds of division and discord have been sowed across our land as people are taking sides, swift to condemn any and all who do not support certain movements, certain views. We see cancel culture rising in our nation so quickly and eliminating anything that they don't agree with or anything that uh, might offend. It's coming to the point, folks, where we ultimately will, may have to fight for our First Amendment rights to speak, to believe, to assemble, and many so-called Christians and Christian groups are willing to go along with this as long as we can remove anything that offends people. These are difficult times. We need to have some understanding of the times. And we're going to begin a series of messages here in July about that, understanding the times. And we're going to begin with this issue of race and Racism, we won't cover it all today. We'll talk about it more next week. But we're going to open our Bible and we're going to look to see what God says about mankind, about the value of each and every human life and each and every people group. We will seek to understand the concept of race and the realities of how we treat each other because of an unbiblical concept of race. We will also pray that we can be people who love our neighbors as ourselves, which is what the Bible commands us to do. And that we can be part of the solution by preaching the gospel to all people because we preach a message of the God who so loved the whole world. So Genesis chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 26. We'll read down to the end of the chapter and we'll read also a verse from chapter 2. Chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every 
creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the, all the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seeds, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw that everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Skip down to chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Let's pray. Father, speak to us life through your word. Your word is truth. Draw us to you through it. Speak to us. Give us the truth to live by. And to believe by, Lord, and if there's one here today or one watching today that doesn't know you, may they come to know Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's in his holy name we pray and ask. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about the realities of racism. And I want to say very clearly, first off, uh, this sermon is not preached because I believe we have an issue with racism in our church. In fact, I want to say very clearly that you have not ever been, you are not and have not been a racist church. And I'm so very grateful for that. I have been your pastor this week, 19 years. I began on the first Sunday in July. Thank you. I began on the first Sunday in July of 2001. This is the first Sunday of July in 2020. So 19 years ago to the Sunday. And I've seen people walk through this door in this fellowship embrace every color of people inter-ethnic people bi-ethnic people multi-ethnic families we've had people from all over come through these doors in these 19 years and I've seen you love them and embrace them and so I thank God for that I never have any fear that you're not going to now every pastor can't say that I can honestly say I never have any fear so I thank God for that and I appreciate that greatly that's the love of Jesus. That's how it's supposed to be. But we do know that there is the issue of racism, and so we want to talk about it. We're going to spend our first part of our message dealing with these issues, and then we'll get to our text uh, at the end of the message. But the first thing I want to talk about is the definition of racism. What do we mean by this? Well, race is a term the Bible really never uses. The Bible uses nations and ethnicities and tongues and tribes and peoples but not the word race is a race like we use it. When we use the word race, mainly we are talking about a tribe of people, but a great definition is this. Race is a category of humankind that shares certain distinctive physical traits. Certain distinctive physical traits. Now think about that. Uh, that came from a secular dictionary. So when we talk about certain distinctive physical traits, well, what are they? I mean, every, every group of people have two ears and two hands and two eyes and so what what's the physical trait skin color that's it the certain distinctive physical trait is skin color that's it that everybody every every group of people is born with all the other and the only difference is skin color the certain distinctive physical trait 
is skin color. Now, race was a term that was used prior to the 20th century, but it was used differently. One of the things I've learned in reading old books is that the word usage in ancient times or in, in older times often is different than the way we use words. We may use the same word, but if you read old literature, if you read books from the 18th and 17th century, you will find that they use some of the same words, but they use them in different ways. And race is actually one of those words. In fact, the, our, word, our usage of the word race really didn't start until the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th centuries. Race was used actually to describe nations. You can read books and, and you can see where they talk about the English race or the Irish race or the Italian race. Now just think about that. If we talked about race that way today, we would say this is the American race. When we gather in our church, when you go somewhere and, and everybody there is an American citizen, you see all the different colors of people, you'd say, well, this is the American race. That's not how we use it, but that's how it was used in times past. See, race is unscriptural, and it is what's known as a social construct. When we talk about race, it's a social construct. What is that? What is a social construct? Anybody ever heard of a social construct? If you watch the news, listen, this is what a social construct is. An idea that has been created and accepted by the people in a society. So we have plenty of those and we accept them. Here's one. Class distinctions are social constructs. In America, we have the middle class. You hear it all the time. They're wondering how the middle class are going to vote. What the middle class is doing. But that's a social construct. We have the lower socioeconomic class, the upper socioeconomic, and the middle class. These are things we've created. These are things we accept. Well, race in actuality is a social construct created by man and accepted by man. Because race is unbiblical, I'm going to suggest to you as Christians, we need to learn to stop using it. We need to learn to get away from getting, using the word race in our language. It would be much more scriptural to talk about ethnicities and people groups than it would be to talk about race. See, race is a divisive term. It's meant to divide us based on merely physical traits. Now, we have a lot of things that divide us naturally. Our family background, our culture, our history, our life experiences, our levels of education, and so forth and so on. These are natural divisions. But yet, the one we focus most on is actually the least prevalent, and that is just skin color. So that leads to racism. We, we know what race is. It's basically, uh, that's racism. There's the definition uh, of it. I was getting to that. But a belief that race, a category of humankind that shares certain distinctive physical traits, skin color, is the primary determinant of human traits, capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority or inferiority of a particular race. What does that mean? It means to look at people and say, based on their skin color, I'm superior or they're inferior. It's look at people and look at their, their skin color and say, uh, because of this skin color, they have certain, they're, they're not as smart as we are, or they're not as good as we are, or they're not this and they're not that based on race. It means to look at people and by their skin color determine that they are inferior. Now, to be honest with you, in America, that's not usually what people mean when they're talking about racism. When you hear people on TV talking about racism and they use that word, that's not what they're really talking about. What they're really talking about in their mind is white people mistreating black people or white people mistreating other people. That's what the world means by racism. 
But that's not the definition of racism. That happens in racism, but it's not the definition of racism. It means for one person or one people group to look at another people group and decide they're inferior because of their skin color. So that's the definition. Now, the second thing is the origin. Where does racism begin? Where does it originate? Where did it start and why does it continue today? You know, all the people who think we've evolved, why haven't we evolved past racism? Well, there's two main reasons why and, and where racism originates. One, the heart of mankind. The heart of mankind. In Genesis chapter 10, God gives a list of nations. It's generally referred to as the table of nations. And it's a list of the nations that arose after the flood. Remember, God judged the world and the flood, Genesis 6 through 9. And who was left? Noah and his family. And we'll talk about this more in a moment. But Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And God basically told them, he repeated the command to be fruitful and multiply and told them to go and replenish the earth. Well, they did. When you get to Genesis 10, it gives us a list of those family members and those lines that came from them. And that's called the table of nations. But we get to Genesis chapter 11. Anybody remember what happened in Genesis chapter 11? Mankind rebelled against God. Lifted himself up as the ultimate authority that he would be lifted up to God. And began a cycle of rebellion that man would have his own way and go his own way and do his own thing. And that cycle of rebellion has plagued mankind ever since then. And God judged them again, but in a different way. This time he judged them through confusing their language at the Tower of Babel. And in that confusion, men were scattered abroad. Nations were scattered abroad. These nations which all dwelt together and lived together. And by the way, I believe that that time there were different shades of people. Everybody wasn't one shade. There were different shades of people. But they were all together and of one language. In judgment, God struck them from one language and scattered their tongues. But not only scattered their tongues, he scattered them personally. They scattered abroad. What happened was the gene pool was then split up. And different combinations of genes in different groups resulted in some people having predominantly light skin and some people having predominantly dark skin. They didn't mix and mingle anymore. People wondered, did we ever have interracial relations? We didn't have interracial relations. We didn't have races. We had just different skin colors. Now all these people began to separate and all of a sudden you had uh, people that were predominantly white, lily white, and people that were predominantly dark and black and everything in between. And they spoke a different language. And you know, one of the things that we're about as humans, that bothers us as humans, is people that are different from us. And we're naturally suspect and suspicious of people who look different than us and people who speak a different language than us. And you know where that came from? Genesis chapter 11. Because as they spread out, and as they no longer could speak the same language, Ethnic hatred began to arise and ethnic fighting and racism. And they've been the norm of the world since then. Racism is not a new thing. It's not an American thing. It's a human thing. Did you know every nation in history has some form of abuse and mistreatment of people in its background? 
Every nation has mistreated people within its own nation that are different due to skin color, due to other features, abilities, vulnerabilities, their financial standing. Nations have abused the poor. Why do you think God tells us over and over again in the scriptures not to abuse the poor? Because men abuse the poor. That's why. He didn't tell them something they weren't doing. He told them something they were doing already. So this happened and this great divide caused men to separate and this people began to look different and talk different. And the natural unity which they used for sin was now divided and it became hatred and rebellion against God and against each other. So the heart of man. And in that heart is this, the predominant sin of pride. Racism originates in the heart of mankind mainly because of the predominant sin of pride. Man is sinful in every way. Every way imaginable. Every sin imaginable is, has, and will be committed by mankind. When you read the history books, when you read the Bible, we're going to read it in Genesis chapter 3 in a moment, and you read the rest of the Bible, and you read the history written after the Bible, and during the time of the Bible, and around the Bible, what you're reading is the history of sin. When you watch the news, you're watching the ongoing continual history of sin and its effect on every single thing. Every person, every organization, every family, every nation, every single day is affected by sin. You're watching its ugliness unfold before your very eyes every single day. But the ultimate sin of all people all people are plagued with the sin of pride. All human beings are plagued with the sin of pride. See, as humans, we like to think that we're better than we are. We like to think we're not as bad as others. And in a worst case scenario, if someone corners us and catches us doing something wrong, we like to think, well, at least we're not as bad as we could be. This is the human condition. And because of pride, we do not like to own up to our own sin. We don't like to fess up, so to speak. We don't like to face up. Adam and Eve started this. You have your Bibles open? Genesis chapter 3. You know the story in Genesis 3. This man that God created in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God gives him a wife. And then, of course, you know, they fell into sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, instead of saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, this is what I've done. You're right, Lord. Look what he says. The woman whom you gave to be with me. Adam's like, listen. Listen, God, listen. I mean, I went to sleep. I woke up and there she was. I mean, how could that be my fault? I mean, many of men have dreamed that would happen for them, but it happened for Adam. But then he turned around and said, well, God, I just went to sleep and woke up and you gave her to me. I didn't ask for her. Who's he blaming? God. Adam's blaming God. People do this all the time. I, I was born this way. I was made this way. Listen, there's no, there's no new tricks, man. 
People have been doing the same stupid stuff since, since Genesis. So, you gave to be with me. She gave me of the tree, and I ate. So, God, it was her fault. It's your fault you gave me her. Then it's her fault she gave me the fruit. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? Then the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Adam blamed God, and Eve, Eve blamed the talking snake. This is it. But this is funny, but this is human nature. See, in pride, we do not want to own up. You know what God has to do to save a person? Well, you've got to let them hear the gospel. Yeah. He has to bring Holy Spirit conviction. Yeah. Here's the deal. God has to break our pride. You know why children, why Jesus said, unless you come and be converted and become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven? Because little children don't have as much pride as we do. Now, don't get me wrong. A stubborn child is a prideful child. That's what stubbornness is. It's pride. But even with that, a little child still doesn't have as much pride as we do. The longer we go in life, the more prideful we get. The more we learn, knowledge puffs up. We think we're better than we were. We think we're better than we are. We think we know more than we do. It's just human nature. We just accumulate pride trophies all along in our minds. We're just full of pride. And God has to break our pride to save us. And then when we're cornered in our sin, we look for a scapegoat. We look for someone to blame. We look for a way out of owning up. We don't want to take responsibility. My, 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 my spouse did this. My children did this. My parents did this. We're victims of our circumstances. We're victims of our culture. I'm victims because of what I had, or I'm a victim because of what I didn't have. This is much of what's going on in the country, by the way, is a bunch of people who go around claiming that they're victims of everything. Our community holds me back. Our culture holds me back. America's held me back. You've held me back. This has held me back. It's somebody else's fault. Well, none of that flies with God. In fact, there's a great chapter, and you ought to read it. Mark it down. Ezekiel 18. Go read it. Read it two or three times this week. And in that chapter, he, God explains. I'll get to that verse in just a minute. God explains that Every person is accountable to him. He talks about, he says, because this is a great verse. Listen, parents, if you're feeling guilty because your children have failed, God says, listen, I do not hold the fathers accountable for the sins of the sons. And I do not hold the sons accountable for the sins of the fathers. Each person stands before me individually. I do not hold your country accountable for your failures. I hold you accountable. Ezekiel 18, 4. Behold, all souls are mine. Everybody belongs to God. Everybody's going to God, but everybody's not staying with God. People, where are you going when you die? You're going to God. And then you're going to find out, if you don't already know, you're going to find out you're not going to be with him. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. The individual responsibility. Now, this pride in us that God has to break not only leads us to think we're better than ourselves, and this is where racism comes in, it ultimately leads us to think we're better than others. And we get so superficial that we begin to look at people and we see somebody coming down the street and they're, they're a different skin color than we are and automatically we're better than them because we're a racist. That's what a racist is, someone who thinks they're, they're superior to someone because of their skin color. People of other races are inferior to the people of my race. This is what it means. Pride sets up in the heart of people. Now, listen, I believe in equality. Our, 
our founding fathers wrote that all men are created equal and we are created equal God created us God created man we're all created equal but to be honest with you equality is not something that um, you can mandate in the sense of outcome I'm, I'm, I'm equal to you by God's creation but there's people that are superior to me in some ways they're smarter than I am they're, they're better money managers than I am they have better skills than I have doesn't mean I'm not equal to them it just means I don't get the same stuff they get because I don't have what they have but our country wants to make everything equal equal outcomes that's not possible God created us equal in our personhood but not equal in our gifts and talents and abilities Racism, though, says that because you're a certain skin color, you're inferior. And it still exists in the world. You know, in everything, there are people on both extremes. There are people in our country who don't believe racism exists hardly at all, that there's no racism. There are other people who believe everything's racism. Every single thing is racism. If that's something they don't like, it's racist. Well, to be honest with you, clear-thinking, rational people are somewhere in the middle. They understand that racism exists. They understand everyone's failures are not due to racism. I do not believe that we as a nation are completely free of racism because we're not completely free of sinners. I do not believe our institutions are completely free of racism because we have sinners in those institutions. But I will tell you, I do not believe most racism is institutional or systemic, as you hear on TV all the time. I believe racism is individual and personal. It's in the heart of people. Now listen, Americans are being told that we're a racist nation. And if you haven't figured out you're a racist, there's people who will train you to let you know how racist you are. So let me say something. The first thing you have to settle is, are you a Christian? I mean, not do you identify as a Christian because you're American. Not do you identify you're a Christian because you've gone to a church all your life. But have you been born again? Has there been a time in your life when God birthed you from above? For Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. And if you've had a born again experience with God and God lives in you, listen. You have a Bible now that you can't understand. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wrote this book. So if you're a Christian and you have the author of the book and you have the book of God in your life, then listen, let me tell you something. You do not need some liberal, progressive professor telling you that you're a racist. You do not need some diversity training or some privilege test. You don't need some book on white fragility to tell you that you're a racist. If the Holy Spirit of God can't tell you that you're a racist, if the Holy Spirit of God and the sufficient Bible, the Bible that tells me God knows my heart in everything, that if I look with a woman at lust, I've committed adultery. The God who knows my heart, while other people don't know what I've looked at, the God who knows my heart speaks to that. If he can't tell me I'm a racist, then there's a good chance I don't need to listen to sinful men tell me that. The Bible will tell you who you are and where you are. The Holy Spirit will convict you just like he has me thousands of times of sin. Now, 
With that being said, because you come to a church, because you're a Christian, doesn't mean you're not a racist. Like any other sin, if you don't deal with it, it still roots up in your heart. And I want to tell you, there are people in our country that are racist. And there are people in our country that get mistreated by individuals. You know, there are people in this city, right here, that nurses who are told they, that they are not to see a certain patient because their skin color is the wrong color. Certain patients don't want a black nurse. This happens in hospitals in Kansas City. They don't want a, a person of color, of a certain color, caring for them. This happens in our city. I have it on good knowledge from people who know it's true in our city today in 2020. So for us to say that racism doesn't exist because I'm not being treated that way doesn't mean it's real. It's true. People get treated this way. People get looked at. They get treated differently. They're suspect because of their skin color by certain people. And it's a horrible, terrible thing. And if, I want to tell you this morning, if that rests in your heart in any way, you need to repent and go to God and ask Him to cleanse you of that. That leads to the third thing where we'll look at our text this morning and the rejection of racism. This morning, listen. We reject racism not because it's popular to do so. You know, at one time in our country's history, it was popular to be a racist. Meaning the popular, the, the majority were, were racist. It was the culture. We don't reject racism now because it's popular to reject it. We don't reject racism because we'll feel bad if we don't. We reject racism because we have a Bible and the God of the Bible lives in us. And the God who loved the world lives in us and he loves them and we love them. And we do not accept any form of racism. Racism has always increased where the Bible's rejected or its teaching has been perverted. Yes, the Bible was and in some cases still is used to justify racism, justify slavery, justify other mistreatments of people. But to do so, listen. A person has to deny these clear, fundamental truths I'm going to give you here. And we're going to talk about these again. These four fundamental truths that I'm going to give you, these, out of these um, rise our doctrine of how we treat other people, what we believe about other people, not just races, all people in general. You understand? These four principles are very important. These are not the only four doctrines, but these are four basic principles. You could call these four reasons to reject racism. You could call four, these four reasons why racism is sin. Whatever you want to call it. These are four fundamental Bible principles that every Christian must understand and believe. And by the way, I say this because, well, not every Christian has understood and believed these. Some people have rejected these. Number one, all people are created by God. All people are created by God. This is what he says in Genesis 2, 7. That verse that we read, it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God formed Adam from the dust, and he's been forming the rest of us from the womb. 
God's been forming. He's formed us in our mother's womb. Read Psalms 139. Read Jeremiah chapter 1. I formed you in, my, in the mother's womb. God's hands were upon us when we were in that womb. God created us. Just like he formed Adam from dust, he formed us from the womb, from man and woman. This very simple, clear doctrine of creation, which people like to mock and laugh about, is the foundation for our beliefs about mankind. Yet, this doctrine has been under attack, has been ridiculed and rejected and replaced in cultures, in churches, and in denominations, often replaced by the theory of evolution. Now listen, in the mid-1980s, excuse me, mid-1800s, amateur theologian and biologist Charles Darwin wrote his history-altering book, The Origin of the Species. In that book, he conceptualized a world where life began spontaneously. And then it changed over time by the forces of nature. As nature worked on life, it changed. And it created this phenomenal complexity that is life and that is even human life. That nothing became everything when you added time to it. Nothing plus time equaled everything. It's bad math. Bad science. Now listen. According to evolution, we have no creator. We're not accountable to anyone, which is the reason behind evolution, by the way. Darwin didn't want to be accountable. He didn't want to be accountable to God. Why? Because he's a prideful sinner, just like we talked about. That's why, he wrote, that's why he wrote his theories, because he was a prideful sinner who did not want to face judgment at the end. And he did. We're not accountable to anyone because we're not created by anyone. And therefore, we exist by chance. But the Bible teaches that we were each created on purpose and for a purpose. God created us. Listen, I'm here today by God's design, God's plan. I'm the pastor of this church by God's sovereign will. I'm created. I live and move and have my being because God willed for me to live. He created me. He formed me. With all that I am and all that you are, you were created by God. The second truth. All people are created in God's image. This is another step in the process. It's not just that we're created by God. More specifically, we're created in God's image. Look back at chapter 1, verse 26 again. Let's read those, those important words. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Stop there. Listen. For the first time in Scripture, God introduces himself with personal pronouns. This is the first time. He says, let us, because God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us create or make man in our image. Now, this is important. Go home and get your Bibles and you read Genesis chapter 1 and just read down through it very slowly. What you're going to notice is there's a significant change that happens in verse 26 from the pattern of the first 25 verses. Okay, listen to this. In the first 25 verses... God used a formula to introduce every act of creation. It was then God said, because God spoke everything into existence. In verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24, then God said. And every time he said that, it followed with this, let there be, let there be, not let us make. But when he came to man, he didn't say let there be. He said, let us make man in our image. 
Nothing else that God created was created with such a personal involvement. The animals aren't made in God's image. The universe wasn't made in God's image. The earth wasn't made in God's image. The trees weren't made in God's image. Man was made in the image of God. Scripture deliberately employs personal pronouns to relate to us this deep, intimate connection that God has with man. Now, the image of God is not our physical appearance. It's not even our material part. The image of man is our spiritual part. It's our, it's our consciousness. Listen, men, as people, we're self-conscious. We're morally conscious. We're conscious of others. And we have the ability to be conscious of God. Animals are conscious, but listen, they're not morally conscious. They're not spiritually conscious. They don't, they don't have any, they're not conscious of you, not like you are other people. And they do not have the ability to be conscious of a higher power of the Lord himself. Now, we're going to talk about this more later on in the series. But listen, this is the God part of man. This image of God is the part where man can know God. Evolution teaches us that we're just animals and the fittest of the animals survive. Not only that, listen, evolution and Darwinism has done more to promote racism than any theory in history. Did you know that? It's kind of rich in our irony to think that some of the institutions that talk more about racism, that rail on more about racism, also believe in evolution. They teach evolution out one side of their mouth because they're double-minded and they teach Darwinism, I mean they teach ra uh, no racism out the other side. And yet evolution is by nature about which group is the fittest, which group uh, is more evolved. There's a quote by the late Stephen Jay Gould who was a leading evolutionist. He wrote in 1977 this, Biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1859, but they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. In other words, more and more people became racist in their theories after believing in Darwinism. The subtitle to Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, do you know what the subtitle was? Listen, The Preservation of the Favored Races. See, people don't get all that. We just talk about the origin of species. But the subtitle, what Darwin was really ultimately trying to get at was that some races are better than other races. Darwin himself was an avid racist. Now, I don't know if anybody's going to go tear his statue down. I don't know if anybody's going to go over to the, to the, 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 the uh, Museum of Modern History in England where they have a big display for Charles Darwin. I haven't seen if anybody's going over there and tore that down yet. But he was one of the biggest racists of all. So if any of those folks are listening, we'll go protest, go over there. Darwin described those with darker skin, such as American Indians, people groups from Africa, and almost every other ethnic group that was different from him. He used words such as savages, low, and degraded. And Darwin said that some races, namely white races, had left other races behind on the evolutionary scale. White folks were more evolved. See, race, evolution 
lends itself very easily to racism. You wonder why America has a problem with racism? We don't create, we don't teach our people that God created us in his own image, each and every one of us. Number three, all people are of one family. All people are of one family. Now, this is a very important doctrine that runs through the scripture. Get it again. All people are of one family. Now, look over in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3. So, we just talked about the sin. They sinned, they fell. Now, after the fall, they have work to do. God's given Adam something to do. Verse 20, Genesis 3, 20, look what it says. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve was the mother, that's what Eve means, the mother of all. Eve was the mother of all. Now, look, turn over to chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, remember we just talked about Shem and Ham and Japheth and, his, and Noah and his kids. Look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, look at this, the whole earth was populated. What does that mean? That means that everybody came through Eve and everybody came through Noah later on. and Noah's family populated the world. Everybody came through these lines. Everybody is related. The New Testament says it this way. Acts 17, 26. And he is made from one blood. Now, it could be translated one man. Acts 17, 26. And he is made from one blood. Every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. That's a deep verse, but what it summarizes this. We came through one blood, one man. We dwell on the face of the earth, and God has determined when we will live and where we will live. You're not a chance. You're not an accident. God knew you would live when you would live, and he knows you will die when you'll die. He knew who you would be, where you would be, the boundary of your dwellings, the nation you'd be a part of, the day you would live in. God knew all that. Not only did he know it, he planned it and purposed it. We are one family. Now listen to this. Today, due to genetic studies, most scientists, whether they're evolutionists or creationists, agree that the various so-called races did not have a separate origin. What this means is, evolutionists used to teach that different races evolved from different animals. But as science has proven, now they say all people evolved from one animal. They believe in one blood too. They just believe it was animal's blood. See, the, these people have stumbled on in their, in their foolishness to some truth. They can't give God the credit. They can't say it's what God said. So now they have to rearrange what they had taught. Listen to this. In 2000, the Human Genome Project, it was a big scientific deal then. That's 20 years ago now. I know it's hard to believe. But 20 years ago, the Human Genome Project had put together studies and they announced that they had put together a draft of the entire sequence of the human genome. And the researchers unanimously declared that there is only one race, the human race. Now these people, most of these people are evolutionists. They're not creationists. But through study they found out we all came from one blood. Geneticists have found that if we were to take any two people from anywhere in the world, listen to this, 
the basic genetic difference between those two people would be around two-tenths of one percent. You, you just plucked two random people. And what they would find genetically different is about two-tenths of one percent. What does that cover? Mostly skin color. Not anything else. What works on, what we got on the inside is the same. How we're made is all the same. Skin color is the difference. Interestingly, you would think as man's got smarter and wiser and learned more, he would realize that we're of, we're of one race and therefore we should be able to get along. And, but yet, did you know the 20th century was the bloodiest century in all of human history? More people were killed by other people in the 20th century than any century in history. Men like Stalin and Hitler and Mao were responsible for the deaths of tens of millions of people. And you know what you can find about those guys? There's a lot of similarities, but you know one thing you can trace? They all believed in evolution. You can trace their belief in evolution that their race was superior to other races, that there were people around them that were superior to other people, and it fanned the flames of their ethnic superiority and their ultimate ethnic cleansing. Because they believed that certain people were just naturally better than other people. This is what evolution brings about. Creation never brings this about. If you believe that everybody's from one family, Adam and Eve, and Noah and his sons, ultimately, we're all of one family. The last important truth is this. All people are loved by God. All people are loved by God. We reject racism because we're all created by God. We're all created in God's image. We're all of one earthly family. And we're all loved by God. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And while there are more truths than these, these four foundational truths begin our understanding of how God looks at mankind and how we must look at mankind. Out of that foundational truth, we know another one, that all those people created by God, created in His image of one family and loved by God are also sinners. But you want to know how much God loved those sinners? God loved those men? God loved men so much, He became one. You ever thought about it? God loved man so much, He became one. He took on flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. He took on flesh and took our sins to the cross. Romans 5.15 says it this way, but the free gift is not like the offense. Now, here Paul's comparing Adam and, and, and Jesus. And we're all in Adam naturally, but we come to Jesus spiritually. So he says this, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounded to the many. We all died in Adam. We can all live in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Listen, we're all in Adam. Every person, red and yellow, black and white, are all in Adam. Our job is to get them to Christ. Our job is to help as many as we can get in Christ so they may be made alive. We're one in Adam, but we can help people come to Christ. As Christians, we must believe what the Bible teaches us about mankind, not what the world teaches you. 
Not what institutions teaches you, not what liberals teach you, but what God says in His Word. And based on that, we must live accordingly. If we have anything in our heart that's darkened towards people, that it thinks we're, in, we're superior and they're inferior because of their race, or because of any reason, by the way, we must lead the way by repenting of that and then turning and showing compassion and love for all people. And the best way we can love people, folks, is not to go along with them, but to tell them there's one who can bring them out. To tell them there's one who can save them. There's one who can forgive them. Let's pray together this morning. We ask God to speak His Word and take His Word and hide it in our hearts.